So Dave, you sound, I guess, more lightweight. Is that the right way? You put, you sound a little bit more portable. Sounds like you got better, better battery life. Maybe what's up? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Faster. Yeah. 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 I got, got a new laptop. Oh, uh, thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> What, what did you what did you what did you end up with? Well, the I had an X two thirty that went off a lease, and it's like, oh, you got to get a new one, and it's like, okay, so I got the the Lenovo X one Carbon. And, oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah, got Rel seven on it, and uh, um, I just spent an hour just sort of making room for it in my home office because I, I switched my setup a little bit to uh, go. And I used to have the laptop screen and like a. 27 inch monitor and and now i've added a third monitor and so now i'm now i'm driving like like three displays i don't even know what i'm going to do with a third one but uh <laughs> i'm going to put stuff on it um <laughs> so it's 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 going to be interesting from a workflow standpoint so but but it's amazing how i was able to cram it all in, in this space though that i have um so we'll see how it goes but but you have the x1 carbon right I do, I do. I got it as part of the new job. Uh, I finally decided to refresh my laptop, and uh, I, I actually really like it. Once I got all the mouse stuff, the trackpad stuff fixed, and mm-hmm. uh, um, and also the I, I rejiggered the the font situation uh, on on Rel Seven, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, no, I I actually like it. Um, I I enjoy working on it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And it, another funny laptop story. Uh, Lauren started school on Wednesday, uh, so starting her junior year, mm-hmm. and um, had trouble getting her laptop connected on the Wi-Fi. It's you know the new laptop she got, and uh, so she went to talk to the help uh, help desk people there, and uh, you know they were like they're all over it, you know helping helping to you know get the Linux laptop you know put on, you know they didn't balk or anything. Um, so you know she goes walks into them and they're like, oh well, what are you running? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm running Linux. And um, over one of the cubicle walls, this lady stuck her head out and said, she said, Linux? And and uh, <laughs> and she's like, oh, what's going on here? I said, you, you just said Linux. You know, you're hearing a student say Linux. So it winds up being Lauren's new computer science teacher for this year. Ah, very nice. Yeah. So nice first impression, Lauren. Yeah, um, excellent. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, oh, well, I, I actually don't know a lot about Linux, but I, I wish I could learn more. And it's, she's like, well, all right then. Um, so, so it's like, I, I think they'll get along great this year. She's, she, Lauren's really excited. She seems like a really nice lady. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, um, make sure Lauren comes back from the first semester with a PO. That's a, mm-hmm. that's yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> ABC always be closed. <laughs> that's right. Yep. Yeah. So you were in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, so Ingrid made her uh annual pilgrimage out to go see the family in uh mm-hmm. in in Stockholm and uh, I was able to join them for for a week of that, which is good. Um absolutely beautiful. Uh if you want to go visit Sweden, August is the month to go visit Sweden. Um the the weather it was clear and bright every day. The temperature was perfect. All the flowers were blooming. Um, it really is a, it really is a beautiful country. Um, mm. and so we got a, got a little bit of hiking in. Um, I watched everybody else, uh, take a dip in ice cold lakes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, ate really well, got to try out my, my Swedish cause I've been, I've been duolingoing Swedish for a while. And so got to try that on, uh, to great effect. And yeah, no, I just had a great time. It was really nice to 
really nice to relax a little bit, um, even if I had to do a little work in the evenings. So yeah, yeah. Well, did did Soren go in the water? He did. He did, um, and he enjoyed it very much. He he seemed uncowed by the uh, by the by the by the water, but yeah, you know. When he gets older, that'll change. When he gets older, that'll change. But uh, yeah, for now he's uh, for now he was very comfortable. He learned uh, to shake his head no. Uh, he also learned to nod, mm-hmm. uh, which is right now a very slow and deliberate process for him, which is very mm-hmm. cute. Um, and uh, and also it was amazing how quickly he picked up the Swedish uh, phonemes. Um, mm. You know, because he's babbling now, he's not quite talking, and right. uh, so uh, he picked up on his relatives going to go oh, which is like kind of a uh, that's a, um, that's kind of a, a bedrock, uh, component of, of Swedish conversation is this kind of confirmation of, Oh, uh, mm-hmm. and so he started going, Oh, it's, you know, <laughs> st- anyway, so it was great. It was good. Everybody had a good time. Um, uh, again, can strongly recommend visiting Sweden in August. Uh, cannot recommend flying, uh, on a nine hour flight, uh, with a, an 18 month old boy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, uh, that was challenging. Um, yep. and, and, and actually a little bit humiliating cause there was an 18 month old girl uh, across the row from us who mm-hmm. was an angel and slept through the entire thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pro- probably Benadryl. See, that's, see, that's, I think maybe that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's the secret. Yep. Anyway. All right. Uh, Dave, what do we got this week? Yeah. So let's see. We got, uh, San Jose's license plate opportunity. We have AT&T's Wi-Fi opportunity. The UK government's Oracle opportunity and this is email opportunity. Mm-hmm. So these all sound intriguing. Um, so if people need to go see uh, photos of, uh, I guess, your laptop or my visit to Sweden, uh, where can they go? Oh, and we're, we're going to have pictures of 1970s stock photos as well. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, those are great. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Uh, they need to go to dgshow.org. So D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, uh, on the on a cutting room floor this week, we've got uh, actually we got three hits, three mm-hmm. three hit songs. So uh, we got Aha's "Take on Me" uh, being done by a crew of uh, North Koreans with accordions, mm-hmm. uh, which is hilarious. And then uh, an addition of uh, "Ho Hey" or "Hey Ho" uh, by the Lumineers, right? Uh, except this time it's done by the Chickeneers. Okay. And uh, and then this hit, I remember this hit from a couple of years ago. Um, Stop making our software better. Uh, by the Oracle Corporation. Yep. Yep. That one? Oh yeah. Yeah. It never gets old. It never it never gets old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway. Uh man, what a tragedy in Virginia, huh? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that there was uh that shooting of the um the news reporter and the and the cameraman uh mm-hmm. by a coworker. And um I know we talked a couple couple episodes back about the license plate readers and mm-hmm. you know just like uh you know cops driving around parking lots with the with the camera and beating scanning them and everything and it wound up that um the license plate reader um used it uh, by one of the police officers in virginia led to the the person that, that killed the reporter and cameraman huh oh that's interesting so the, so how did that so how does that work was it like a was it like a traffic camera mounted thing or was it like but how did how did that all go down? Yeah, it was it was um, the 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 uh, uh, police officer was uh, driving along Interstate sixty six, and then um, and then it came up with a positive hit, and then um, 
and and so it was like I guess they the I don't know if they pa- uh, the vehicle passed the police officer or they're going in opposite directions. Um, but uh, well, yeah, it says here that they passed, and then um, then uh, 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 she attempted to catch up with the vehicle, um, and then moments later, uh, the police tried to stop the man uh, that was driving, and the vehicle uh, drove off the road, crashed, and then. Um, um, and then they um, uh, discovered that the person uh, later died of self-inflicted injuries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's that's incredible. I mean, so I mean, this is like this is exactly how the system is supposed to work, right? Um, yeah. This is kind of the this is this is almost this is this is the use case, right? That they were um, that this product is for um, this yeah. license plate reader. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, but the other thing that I saw that's related to that was that um, the license plate readers in San Jose they want to put them on garbage trucks. Yeah, it was interesting. I was reading on this. So the and so the idea is that as the garbage trucks once a week, the garbage trucks can go through and read all the license plates and uh, and then scoop up whatever you know people with warrants or deadbeat dads or or whatever it is. Um, and it feels creepy, right, to have the garbage trucks be a surveillance mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like it feels creepy. It feels creepy to me. Does it feel creepy to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but here's the thing: why? Like, why not creepy on a cop car, and yes, creepy on a garbage truck? Yes, and well, it's it's a different like a different purpose. Mm-hmm. Like you know that the garbage truck is there to pick up garbage, um, whereas a police car that you know they're doing enforcement, and you know. And, and I guess you could put it down, you know, down, uh, you know, in the future, it could be like drones running around taking pictures of everything and, and just like all over the place where mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, like mosquitoes. Right. Um, so yeah. What do, what do you think? It seems like, it seems like a line. Uh, so here's the thing. It seems like a line is being crossed. And we've talked about this in other cases, right? Um, there where, uh, previously kind of like innocuous things become mechanisms for surveillance, right? We talked about the, uh, uh, the, the cameras or the license plate readers hidden in highway barriers and stuff like that. Right. Um, Mm. where like functionally there's no real difference between putting it on a cop car, but it feels different. And I think maybe, I think maybe it's like a slippery slope thing. Like for me, what's creepy about it is not so much putting the license plate reader on the garbage truck per se, but the fact that, there is no foreseeable end to this, right? So as, right. You, as you say, like, let's just make it a swarm of drones. And now I, now as long as I have a license plate, I can be tracked by the cops whenever they care to track me, right? Um, yeah, or, or it is a, um, a camera let, embedded in everybody's license plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, you miniaturize yeah. it to the point that, oh, if you want to have a license plate in the state of Texas or state of Ohio or whatever, um, you know, you got to have this little camera attached to it. So you are you're part of the the collection, you know, data collection platform that's uh, you know ingesting data and and sending it off. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so and so yeah, maybe so maybe we're getting specific about it. That the what's creepy about it is the fact that there is no framework under which people are making these decisions, and there's no and there's no there doesn't appear to be any real barrier between uh, a cop car having an LPR and total surveillance of all against all. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I have some good news though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the article went on to say that um, 
that the city council uh, said that they would uh, talk to the uh, ACLU before they did anything. See that, but see, regardless of how you feel about the ACLU, I feel like that should also be a concern, right? Um, because saying that as long as we've spoken with the ACLU, everything is going to be cool also seems insufficient, right? Like I would like to see at least regulations, but preferably laws in place to kind mm -hmm. of control the dissemination of the technology, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, yes, I agree that that should be the, like, once you get your head wrapped around what is the right way to do it, um, yes, we need to have the laws. But, but the thing is though, is that I, I think talking to a, you know, again, like, like you said, whether you like the ACLU or not talking to a third party and getting their input, um, is good instead of just being all draconian saying this is what we're going to do and the heck with everybody else and and not taking input from people yeah um, well but also that's also that's a it's a also it's a dodge on the part of the government right where they can where they, like well listen the aclu basically if they just treat the aclu like the underwriters lab of civil yeah. of civil liberties like then they don't have to do any real critical thinking about it they could just say well listen the aclu didn't didn't squeak so obviously this True. is okay right yeah 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 that's a, actually, that's an interesting point is that there's no, like, if there was a government function that would have an opinion about this or could issue recommendations or set guidelines, um, what would be that, what would be that organization? Was it like the trade commission, I guess? Maybe. Like there's no, there's no seat for authority for this kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that, that could be a lot of, you know, this, then it, that, this is going to turn into a political podcast, but, um, <laughs> But then at what point does it turn into like a judiciary thing where like look at the FCC where you know right. they come up with regulation that wasn't passed by a lawmaker. Yeah. Um and and you know they they are deciding things whether you like the decision or not um without any sort of representation. Yeah, right right right. Uh, yeah, I would much rather this this all get aired out in uh in like in a civil court as opposed to like some administrative law judge somewhere right yeah like just for the like the level of scrutiny and the level of importance you're right this is turning into a political podcast all right yeah dave cheer me up who's in who's in the doghouse this week yeah so um it's uh so the the number one uh winner was adobe but uh coming in close second was at&t ah nice okay yep. so so what, what was uh what was adobe's what was their yeah. misstep so, um, uh, so Adobe Digital Editions uh, four. So that's that's like if you want to do like ebook reading on your desktop computer, mm -hmm. um, and you know, so you can enjoy digital rights management uh, encumbered uh, content. <laughs> um, when you go to install that, the default option is to install uh, Norton Security Scan by default. Huh. Okay, but that's not. And it's not, and that's not related in any way to the functioning of the Adobe Digital Editions Four, right? It's just crapware. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks for nothing, Adobe. Yeah, yeah. So this is very much. Remember when Oracle uh, would make like the Ask Toolbar uh, your default? Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very much like that, where um, Ask or uh, uh, Norton or or. Uh, uh, you know, other companies paying other software companies to uh, install their crapware uh, by, by default. It's not even an option. Um, and, and to me, especially for uh, security software, like, like uh, security scans and stuff like that, 
Um, back when I used to run Windows, it was terrible that you accidentally get two virus scanners like doing the shootout on your computer, of, <laughs> you know, and, and they're declaring each other evil and they're trying to wipe each other out. And it's, it's just like bad. And, yeah. and so, ah, oh, it's just terrible. And then, um, the other thing too, is you think about like you, the most secure systems have the least software installed on them to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, it's like having a very small attack surface. So if you don't need the software, don't install it. Um, you know, if you're not seeking out the software, don't install it. And and for, you know, Adobe and whoever to, um, you know, to do that, that's just, I, I just don't like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like a very good idea. And I, so, you know, it would be interesting is knowing exactly how much Norton had to pay Adobe for the privilege of being installed by default. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't end here with Adobe. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, speaking of, of, you know, we're talking about malvertising in the past. Um, so there were some hackers that they took advantage of an Adobe flash vulnerability in Yahoo ads. Um, so they were, they were, uh, distributing malware using Yahoo, um, the, the Yahoo ad network to, uh, to, to put malware on people's computer because they were doing, uh, flash based ads um, and those flash-based ads had malware in them that that were able to let you take advantage of security flaws in the Flash uh, browser or Flash plugin. Man, I hear stories like this, and I just want to burn the entire industry to the ground. Just mm-hmm. the like, so broken. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and you know, the fact that so most people wouldn't even be aware that this was happening, right? Um, yep. And so this, you know, what this reminds me of is. Um, so you're aware of the parody account Swift on security? Oh yeah, the Taylor Swift. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so it's, yeah, right. it's like a, it's in the person of Taylor Swift. If Taylor Swift was an information security person, right? Um, right. And so, like a very clever Twitter feed, like actually a pretty funny Twitter feed. But uh, also, they uh, the character runs a Tumblr, and mm-hmm. there was a post on that Tumblr about exactly this problem. Uh, and by the way, extremely well written. Um, uh, not just for a parody account, but like in general, like a very well-written blog post um, describing describing this problem, which is that the threats are so subtle um, and have such dire consequences for the average consumer user um, that, anyway, point being is that the, the industry is phenomenally broken. Um, and even if you are talking about it every week, like you and I are, there's very little you can do. And just imagine how bad it is for um, uh, for your average kind of home user, or in the case of the Tumblr entry, like your average sixteen-year-old girl, right? Yep. Um, it's just horrifying. Anyway, so everybody should everybody should uh, uh, everybody first everybody should install an ad blocker, and then after once you've done that, um, you should go read this uh, Taylor Swift uh, yep. this Taylor Swift entry. It was great. Do you want to do you want me to give you another reason to run ad blocking software? Yeah, please. Yeah. So this this is our runner up. Um, that, that like almost made it for the doghouse for this episode is AT&T. So like, you know, when you go to the airport and whatnot and it's, oh, free Wi-Fi and it's, it's provided by AT&T and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, one of uh, uh, is an academic. Um, he was in uh, Dulles Airport and uh, he noticed that uh, the hotspot that he was on um, that was AT&T, he was starting to get ads like, out, and they were just like really weird ads. 
um, anyone found out that these ads were being injected in the HTTP content. Um, so like like embedded. So it's it's not like um, you know you go to Yahoo and then Yahoo is putting their uh, their own aggregation or controlling the content on their web property. Mm-hmm. It's AT and T injecting ads inside of the content of of a uh, uh, of whatever site they're looking at. Wow, man in the middle, right? Yes, yes. So what's funny is if you go to this link, you will actually see ads on government websites. <laughs> Which I'm sure the government is tickled about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, if if you want to get like, like the best way to do it would be to go to like some congressman's website and, you know, get the ad injection there of, of, and who knows if it's a smart ad injection, it's probably the, the opposing <laughs> yeah, viewpoint yeah, exactly. with ads in it. Yeah. And, you know, it, find the right congressman, get them all wound up about stuff like this. That's awful. Awful. Yeah, but seriously, uh, take a look at the at that link because it's like the ads stuck on those. It's like some ad for shoes on like some government website. And it's, it's just hilarious. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. the, but I mean, I think a lot, at least a lot of people that I know, actually run ad blockers, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so this would be totally invisible or mostly invisible to them. Um, between HTTP, between using HTTPS and ad blockers, like you're probably yeah. not seeing that, right? Yes, yes. And and so um like I'm not seeing it. And you know, I, I what's funny is I was with uh somebody last week and uh I was telling him about, "Oh, do you run Adblock?" And he's like, "No, what's that?" And and uh I tell him about it and he he gets the Adblock Plus thing installed on Firefox and um and and it's like, "Oh, well load up, you know, it's like go to it. so he went to like Yahoo Sports and it took forever to load with the um without the ad blocking on there because it was pulling in like you know megabytes of like flash videos and all kind of stuff just took forever it was like dial up and then he put the ad block on and it was like super zippy and then i i told him about that other um experimental privacy setting uh for firefox and he added that on too um and it was just like totally screaming it was like a night and day difference he was like shocked by how um you know how much clutter was removed in terms of just, you know, visual distractions of the reader. And then also the, um, how fast it was. Um, and the other part too, is it, it's like, I, I don't really feel that bad about, you know, not seeing the ads because it's just so poorly governed as far as having the, you know, the, uh, uh, malvertising injected into, uh, you know, by these ad agencies anyhow. So I, I don't feel too bad about blocking it, uh, for my own protection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I think that's right. I do, uh, I do, you know, I do use an ad blocker. I do feel guilty about it, but I do, on the other hand, I, I'm probably more casual than I should be about paying for subscriptions on digital content that I enjoy. Um, oh. so, and even when they don't make me. So as an example, like slate, I listen to probably three hours of slate podcasts a week. And so I signed up for the slate plus, you know, service even though I don't actually avail myself of much of the kind of extra content that they provide, um, mm-hmm. I still to use, I still take advantage of the opportunity to give them money because I do appreciate the content that they put out. Right. Yep. Um, so anyway, that may have, that helps me sleep at night. Yeah. There was a, um, there was also another, uh, thing I put in the show notes, um, about ad blockers will prevent you from seeing $22 billion worth of unwanted ads this year. And, and it was, uh, 
published by one of the people that co-published it was um, uh, somebody that actually comes up with this uh, ad blocking circumvention software. Um, so, but it, it does show that that ad blocking, uh, it, according to their study, is is on the rise. Um, and then they measured the uh, that in terms of the you know the percentage of people using it, but also um, um, what does that mean in terms of overall revenue uh, and all that? So it was, it's it's an interesting. If you look at the graphs, it's a growing percentage and it's becoming more and more significant. So I have a feeling that it's going to reach this tipping point where people are going to have to do things differently. Where mm-hmm. you know it's like I'll see, you know, it's like you'll see the things like podcasts and stuff like that where it's you know if they'll have ads on the podcast, but um, you know it's it's a lot harder to like unlock your phone and skip through it and everything and and you may just ride it out um but you know the other thing i've been seeing too is like on a lot of websites that i will see they're not advertisements overtly but it looks like oh hey oh i i'm trying i want you to i'm trying out this new whatever gadget and boy isn't it great and and it's like a positive review on some gadget and they want you to buy it and it just happens to link to amazon and their affiliate link and everything right um and so you know i guess you know you got to make a living you got to feed your family and all that but that's i think that's another alternative to you know the ads that you know from an aggregation uh service yeah. So in some other news, I saw that uh, the UK government, um, they, they were the, um, working to end its reliance on Oracle, um, where and, and this is sort of old news. They, they resolved it. But some interesting facts or factoids that came out of the articles that I read was that uh, there was uh, uh, was it the Department of Environmental Food and Rural Affairs? Um, they paid one point three million pounds, uh, two million dollars for Two million Oracle licenses. So that if you do the math, that's two hundred licenses per staff member. <laughs> so everybody got their own copy of Oracle. They got two hundred. Everybody <laughs> gets two hundred copies of Oracle. And and so in some ways, I don't understand. You know, it's like, can you be mad at Oracle uh, for, you know, you know, it's like, oh, that's what they wanted to buy, and and I guess that's right and everything. You know, but you would think the person buying it would you know, maybe they're getting a sweet deal or something, or maybe it was like an all you can eat thing with a, with a ceiling. And that was a ceiling. Um, right. right. So, or, or it was done by like price by socket or by core or something like that. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 But still that's a, that's a 200 per staff member seems like a lot. It does seem like a lot. Yeah. 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 So I, in the articles I was reading, I saw something that would get you all wound up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the, in the article, they interviewed Duncan Jones, who's a vice president at Forrester Research. And he said, it's stupid to tell departments to use software that's cheaper, but isn't as good. Jones explained, noting that uh, many Oracle products come to the top of Forrester's, Forrester's own evaluations. The only way to get a good deal with a software vendor is to say, hey, we want to have a long-term relationship with you. And um, uh, Jones said, We'll make you a preferred source, so you give us a really good deal. Yeah. So that's the only way. <laughs> that is that is the only way. Well, so this so now we understand why Duncan Jones is not a CTO or in the purchasing department of uh, of any of any major IT organization because that's not very good advice, is it? That's not no. very good advice. 
So Dave, what are, what are some, what are some strategies, uh, for getting a good deal out of a vendor? Yeah. So having, um, alternatives, mm-hmm. so right. you can have competition. Um, if your product is open source and somebody else could take over support for it, if, if they get mad at you or, uh, at the, at the vendor, you know, that's, that's yep. another way. Yep. What are some other ways? Uh, that's right. Actually making sure. So the, the, you're right. The, like the biggest thing you can do is make sure that the vendor always knows that you can leave. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's making a credible threat about leaving, um, means making a bunch of architectural decisions, uh, that would make it easy for you to leave. Right. Yes. Um, and it may not be because you don't like the vendor. It may simply be, uh, things like, I mean, yes, it could be price, uh, but also it could be like, you want to go take advantage of a newer technology. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we spend a lot of our time talking to customers who are stuck on a particular technology because they have some proprietary hook, uh, because they, it maybe not, maybe it's not even that one product that they're attached to, but that product is attached to a product, which is attached to a product that they're handcuffed to. Um, mm-hmm. so making sure that you have as many, you know, it's all about option value. Um, mm-hmm. and to the extent that you can encourage choices in your infrastructure, um, you're going to be in a better negotiating position with your vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but jumping in, feet or head first into a relationship with a vendor is a really great way to get locked in and, uh, and make sure that the tail is wagging the dog. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. 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 But, but in just a, a couple of days ago, I saw that the UK government did ink a fresh deal with Oracle and it's probably, um, based upon, you know, the, all the, the press that came out of the, the first, uh, news story I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they did announce uh, a memorandum of understanding uh, that builds upon a previous agreement. Um, so, but they they didn't go into a whole lot of detail as to how they plan to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the, so having just said that you don't want to jump feet first into an exclusive relationship with a vendor, it's true that doing like an enterprise agreement has a lot of uh, economies of scale, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think someone told me. I don't know what the number is, but say the number is like every time the DOD cuts a PO for new software, it costs them five, $6,000 in transaction costs, yep. right? Just like yep. getting all the approvals and sending it around and the time spent, the labor and all the rest of it. And so you can put, you know, if it costs you $7,000 to pay somebody money, um, mm-hmm. you know, reducing the number of POs that you're cutting can significantly, you know, uh, improve your cost savings. Right. Um, but, at this end, but you're trading that off against the possibility that the price is going to get raised in a way that is out of your control later. So it's really, it's, you can, if you just do one without the other, um, you're not in a great position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to negotiate, yeah, no, negotiate as many enterprise agreements as you like, but make sure that you have as many opportunities to exit that agreement yes. as possible, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's right. You want to, in spirit, it's it's all it's a win for the company too that has to process all those purchase orders too for oh, small, yeah. you know, small dollars. And mm-hmm. if and it, it's in both parties' interest, it's like, look, we'll give you a sweet deal if you do this enterprise agreement um, because it's less work for you, it's less work for us, and you know, we could pass along any sort of cost savings, and that is that win-win, but. But you do want to make sure that it isn't, you know, that you are so locked into that vendor that you can't get out of it. Yep. Yep. That's right. And, and you know, proprietary hooks and things like that are also other ways that, you, you know, it makes it really hard 
to to get away from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So 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 I have a I have an example. You ready? Mm-hmm. So do you remember a few years ago, DISA uh, uh, got rid of all of their Exchange servers and moved and, and went through the process of moving the whole DoD over mm-hmm. to the email-based cloud service, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you think that's going? Peace in our time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, and I remember that, you know, talking to folks, talking to friends of mine in the DOD, I mean, the one, th- you know, they were anxious about it for, uh, for all the obvious reasons, but they were excited about one thing. Do you know, and like mm-hmm. the big selling point for them was getting out from under the ridiculously low storage quotas that they were given. Right. Yes. Um, so like, you know, you, you could only have 250 megabytes of email, right. Which in, in today's, you know, in nowadays that's impossible. Like that wouldn't even get me through a day. Um, mm-hmm. if I could mm-hmm. only do 250 megabytes of email. And so, you know, to a great fanfare, they rolled out the, uh, the enterprise email project with, you know, these unlimited or, or like very high thresholds on how much email you could, uh, you could store on the server. Um, so imagine my surprise when you sent over this article, uh, <laughs> saying that effective October 1st, DISA will enforce, uh, a new service agreement on the mailbox size limit. Um, so the maximum storage capacity is now 512 megabytes. Yes. Well, there's, there's two classes of users. So mm-hmm. there's the basic class, which is 512 megabytes. Mm-hmm. You can't even buy a 512 megabyte thumb drive these days. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and then there's business class. So mm-hmm. This is where you really step up, right? This is business <laughs> class, um, where you get four gigabytes of storage. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, and so I can imagine like for the basic class, that's probably for, who knows? It, it may not necessarily be the knowledge worker, but mm-hmm. they may need to have an account for you know filling in forms or whatever for filling in their timesheet and approving something. I don't know, um, but that's still a crazy small amount of storage in this day and age. Yeah, well, and especially for an organization as addicted to PowerPoint presentations as they are, <sighs> right? Yes. Like, I mean, fi- like a five hundred twelve megabyte capacity on your on your mailbox, like that's good for probably ten briefings. Right. Yes. And then you're maxed out. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the the other thing is just the tone of the article that that it was like, oh, we're going to put them under control because they're they're just gone wild with, you know, <laughs> what if, you know, it's it's like crazy how, how they're saying, um, uh, you know, it's like uh, one of the quotes is we have resources and information available to help individual to help individuals who aren't a, who aren't sure how to get a handle on their email storage issues. <laughs> I don't know if this the end user that can't get a hold of their, <laughs> their storage issues, but I mean, this is like crazy. And yeah. um yeah, and and it it was just it, it blew my mind that uh how it, it's just and they were talking too in the article about um well the right way to do it is to have offline um, uh, folders for your email. So instead of having your email on the email server, you have like an offline email folder that that you keep all your email on on your laptop. Like an animal. Like an animal. Yeah. Right. So then let's play this out a little bit. <laughs> um, you it, Let's say you do that. What? How does that get backed up? Mm-hmm. 
How's and, it get backed up? And how do and you can't access it on the mobile devices, which was item number two on the big deal about the enterprise email de- thing was the bigger was better storage and also um, yeah. it solves the mobility problem, right? Well, if I can't access all my email on my mobile device, like that is super painful. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and oh man, it just it just blew my mind that it's like you know, for, and also from a productivity cost standpoint of how much time is spent just like hosing their email out so they could receive more email. Yeah, fit. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Also, yeah, so what they've successfully done is turned all squazillion DOD employees into email administrators, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. Like, like, which is exactly the opposite direction that, that, that this whole thing should be heading in. Like, especially with storage, which is like literally the cheapest resource that they could provision, right? Yeah. Um, crazy there must be something that we don't know about this right like it's it's not like you know disa isn't run by horses right like somebody knows how like that there are there are smart people over there and i wish i could i would whatever thought they they weren't interviewed for this article (laughs) they were not interviewed for this article i wonder what the i wonder what the what the considerations were i wonder what the thought process is that got them to this point um because i feel like that might be super instructive because on with a clean sheet of paper nobody would have put this policy in place right yeah yeah well, and let me ask you, like, how do you manage your email? Like, do you do like, like, I remember when Gmail first came out and they, they didn't let you delete email. Mm-hmm. You could archive it, but you couldn't delete it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that's like, no way. I'm not, I want to be able to delete email. I want to, you know, yeah. it's, I, I don't know if it was just, I'm old school. And mm-hmm. it, and the other thing with me is, and again, call me old, but I'm always deleting email because I'm worried about my email quota and filling it up. And even though I never really had a problem with it, but um, it's like, it, to me, it's like if I'm done with it, I'm going to delete it and I never want to see it again. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the Gmail way is to just archive it and just like, you know, just take it out of your view. And who knows, you may want it back. But, but really, to me, I would never want to see that email again. So, right. how do you handle email? So, I have, um, so, so first thing is if, you know, there's a, you, you do get a lot of email, especially with the number of mailing lists that we're subscribed to, you get a lot of email that you are not interested in and you will never be interested in, right? Mm-hmm. So that stuff gets deleted out of hand. Um, then there is email that you need, you needed to know about it, but uh, you, there's, there's a very, very small chance that you'll ever need to go back to that or refer back to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, and so that stuff gets deleted. Even though, and this is how Gmail's retrained me, even if there is an off chance that I might need to refer to something later, um, and if I had to like write an algorithm for f- sorting this out, it would be, if I am named in the email in the to or CC, and I read it all the way through, I'll probably archive it. I'll probably mm-hmm. archive it. Um, and that has actually saved my bacon more than once. Like being able to go back and see like how decisions were made or who was that person who had that problem. Like having that stuff available to me is, is genuinely useful. Um, Mm -hmm. I do, I do, I do enjoy that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't. And, but because of that now, I can't imagine living in a world where I could only, I I would have to stuff all my email into 512 megabytes. I mean, I have like, I have email archives going back to 2001, no, to 1998. I have yeah. like I've been saving email for that long, um, and uh, and you know what I'm glad it's it's actually nice. You know what it's super handy for is uh, getting phone calls from phone numbers you don't recognize, and then mm. uh, searching oh. and then searching for that phone number in the email, and then finding out oh that was that person I haven't talked to in seven years. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, pretty handy. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. So uh, do you, and from a, like the other thing is I have like a bazillion folders and it's like, oh, that, that goes in the Air Force folder. And, oh, and, no. Oh, God, no. Yeah. yeah, no. One folder. There's one folder. There is inbox and there is archive and there is the trash. Yeah. Huh. Um, I rely entirely on searching to go back and, and find stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're also weird in that it's like you, you're right on the fire hose where you treat and, and, and sorry to call you weird. I think it's weird. But your inbox, you treat emails coming in equally, whether they are addressed to you or yes. they're from me or they're yep. from memo list. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Everything is like I run through uh, and I, very much like a Merlin man inbox zero process. I run through, I go through every email. I make a like in a just a couple microseconds, I can make a decision on whether I need to read it, delete it um, or forward it on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and that's how I process all my email. Yeah. Um, and if I had to decide where an email goes, um, it would slow me down considerably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's giving giving myself just a few choices of like reply, forward, archive, or delete um, yeah. makes the uh, makes my processing go much much faster. Yeah. Well, could it also be that using tools like Remember the Milk, Trello, stuff like that? It, it's like like for me, I would have a folder for oh, this is this event that I'm working on, and and uh, so it's like I want to keep that in a folder until that event is over, and then I could blow that folder away because I know everything in there. It's I'm probably never going to use again. Mm -hmm. um, whereas probably with your method, if you're using something like remember the milk that you got to remember to do something or you have a Trello card as part of a bigger team and you're keeping track of things there, it's a way to get stuff instead of using email for project management. Yes. Um, that's good. Taking it outside of the inbox, which I think is, is great, which yep. is something I'm slowly but surely, uh, learning. Yeah. And so, and so what now, one thing I've definitely learned is, uh, whether it's Evernote or Trello or remember the milk, uh, whatever your project management tool is, it has to receive email. Um, yeah. be because if I get an email about a thing, uh, about a thing that I need to work on later, and maybe it's a document that I need to edit, uh, maybe it's just something I need to read later. If it's something that I need to respond to, but I can't do it just in that moment. Um, mm -hmm. I forward the email to my task manager. Mm -hmm. So i so I have a Trello board that I use to manage my work. I'll take the email, I'll forward it to Trello and then be done with it. It's out of my inbox and now it, I can, uh, now it's on my to-do list and mm -hmm. I can prioritize it alongside all the other stuff that I have to do. Right. Yeah. That yeah. works out really well. That works out really well. Yeah. And the other thing too is I, I always, uh, I always, one of my famous quotes is yeah, email is a terrible content management system. Mm -hmm. And anymore with now that we've been using Google uh, docs and all that, mm -hmm. I, anytime I get a, like a word attachment, mm -hmm. I'm just like, no, no, <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like everybody's mailing attachments around and you don't know what version is what and everything. It's like, no, let's just create a Google Doc. Let's all edit it together. Yep. Because when one person's editing the doc, everybody else has to wait and everything. It's you know using the collaboration tools and getting that out of email as much as possible. And I've been so much more ruthless about this um, and, and hopefully – the, the world's a better place and, and people are doing it too and appreciating it. I, I think people are coming along. I think, you know, once people learn how to use the, the tool like Google Docs and the rest of it, once people learn how to use the tools, I think they can't imagine going back um, as a rule. Um, I think one and you know, so 
uh, <clears throat> I think you and I had written a guide uh, for the public sector folks on um, kind of how to manage documents and attachments in in this, you know, now that we have access to Google Apps. Um, and uh, one, one rule which has served me really well, especially on my new team, is if there's a version number on a document that you've attached to an email, uh, you did it wrong, right? Yes. Um, yes. Like, like, you shouldn't have to track version numbers on, when you're in the collaboration stage. Um, yes. Like, yes, when you're publishing it, yes, when it's going into the archive or, you know, into the vault or whatever, yes, put a version number on it. But if you're passing stuff around to eight people and the document is like v 4 gh mv de like, that's crazy. Um, yeah. 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 But go, going back to the restrictive email thing, mm -hmm. it's like to me, I think that restrictive IT, it, it forces people to do shadow IT. Oh, totally. In fact, if you go into the comments on that article, uh, you'll see complaints from a bunch of mostly army folks um, who are like, I have to use Google Calendar to collaborate with my like for my drill calendar, um, which is like a pretty good indication that you're not succeeding as an IT organization if folks are running out and using uh, kind of retail tools instead of the instead of the official tool, right? Yep. Yeah. And and speaking of shadow IT, have um, have you seen this with uh, the VA got in trouble? Yes, I saw this. And uh, and 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 you know what the punchline is? The punchline is uh, I I forgot that Yammer was a thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they 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 got in trouble because um, they were using uh, Yammer, and and it even it went the whole way up to the CIO encouraging the use of Yammer. Which wow, that's that's kind of seems like it's innovative, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, this is a, a nice collaboration tool to, you know. Uh, work with the stakeholders and, and communicate with people and stuff. But I guess where they got in trouble was that they were using the free version of Yammer, which um, uh, one of the ways that they get you to buy up to the paid version is that you could have a centralized corporate control mm -hmm. so that if somebody leaves a company or, um, you know, you can, you can control your data a lot or somewhat better uh, by, um, you know, having the paid version. But if you're using the free version, it's like nobody owns anything. So somebody can leave the company, but possibly still be on Yammer and, and, um, you know, they can get in trouble there. Right. Right. Um, and, and also there were concerns about HIPAA data, right? Yeah. So HHS was, they, they, they use Yammer too. It's like, who'd have thunk? Um, what, I, I think we're missing out on something. Yeah, apparently, a, like a DG yeah. show Yammer. Thing, <laughs> yeah, what is that? The Yammer sales guy uh, definitely getting a bonus this year. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they they got uh, they actually dismissed the criticism, saying that oh well, we're actually using the paid version of Yammer, um, and so we're all we're all good. But there's still the concern of, of leaking data on um, on social networks if it's you know HIPAA data and things like that, which which is true. And you know, I I it would be great to get somebody like Lee Congdon on the podcast, who's our CIO. Um, you know, in terms of like how do you embrace shadow IT? Um, when do you stop it? Um, and you know, because I know like even at Red Hat, it's like uh, you know, it's like uh, there would be things where we don't uh, the corporate IT doesn't endorse it, but they don't say no. And it's mm -hmm. and how do you say no? I mean, um, you know, are you going to stop people from saying no? Right. Um, 
But the the other thing is that they were saying too that um, uh, that they were um, that it was a, a misuse of resources for you know people communicating, and it, it's sort of like it, I got the vibe that. Um, that the HHS people were hanging out on Yammer all day and not doing work, and you know, sort of like they were checking Facebook or something. Right. right, right. Um, but yeah, see, and and there's but there's an important principle at work here, which is uh, as an IT organization, as an enterprise IT organization, you need to be you need to be creating and deploying services that people want to use and not mm-hmm. that they have to use. Right. Yes. Um, and anytime you introduce something that people have to use as opposed to want to use, they're going to go find something that they like better. Yes. Or if it's something they you provide them with something they want to use, but in the case of like an email uh, box with small, with not enough uh, right. yeah. storage, you know, people are again going to go around. Yeah. You're basically begging them to forward all their email to Gmail, right? Yeah. 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 We should get Lee Kongan on. That's a good idea. Let's yeah. do that. All right. I'll make a note of that. All right, so we got about ten minutes left in the show. Uh, what's the what's the Lauren update? How are the fighting unicorns doing? Yeah, so they got uh, um, picked up by Cranes Business Cleveland. Um, All right, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, that was a surprise. Uh, my wife found that, um, and they they covered the. Remember how they did the uh, um, the Slack interview uh, with uh, with Slack. Speaking of shadow IT. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they they are using uh, Slack uh, for their robotics team, and uh, uh, Cranes Business Cleveland reported on it. And then um, the other thing is that uh, with Lauren work, being a summer intern at NASA, um, she uh, they do a lot of outreach uh, in the local community by like you know going to uh, libraries and events and get getting kids interested in STEM. And um, so they did. Uh, so Lauren got some some of uh, the folks from her robotics team to help NASA Glenn out. So instead of it being just like a bunch of NASA guys that are, you know, well-established in their careers, you're able to get a group of girls uh, that are uh, teenagers uh, to show that, hey, technology is cool. And, you know, this is and to make it more relatable to the kids. So um, in one of the local libraries, NASA and the Fighting Unicorns did a uh, um, a robotics camp uh, for the day where kids can go and sign up and they could build their own robot and have a drive around and stuff. And, and the NASA guys and the, the robotics team helped out and the Cleveland plain dealer, which is like the, uh, the Washington times of Cleveland, um, the big <laughs> newspaper, uh, they came up and covered it and they, there's like a whole big photo shoot and they, they interviewed Lauren and, uh, a bunch of the other kids and, and the guys from NASA and all that. So it was a really awesome article. It's it really cool. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Is is uh is our fighting unicorns work going to fall off uh, now that she's uh now that she's at school? No, um, it's it's so this was like the off season that's uh, that she's doing. <laughs> so um, pretty soon it'll be preseason, and then come this uh like January or so, it'll that's when uh, the season starts up again, and okay. where where they have the mission and all that, and it's mm-hmm. it's just going to be bananas for the um, most of the winter. Yikes. All right. Well, cool. Uh, Wonder Dave, I think that's all I got. You got your uh, social network thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let's see. Well, cool. So, uh, so the last thing I got, Dave, is this, uh, is this article um, on 
the nature of social networks and how they can affect your uh, your perception of the world, right? Um, did you see this thing? Did you read it? I, I flipped through it. Yeah, okay. it's so basically the you if you have somebody who is like super popular, mm-hmm. Justin Bieber or whatever, his voice can actually skew a, uh, opinion in a uh, much greater than. Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, it's sort of that the the longer tail of people that have fewer followers. Right, right. I mean, when and when you say it out, or when you describe the mechan, when one describes the mechanics of it, it sounds obvious, right? So it's like, um, if you uh, uh, if you are plugged into a social network of a bunch of like similar thinking people, um, then you know you get this like echo chamber effect, um, yes. and it's often hinged on like a few key members who kind of uh, who are like highly connected within the group. Um, and that, and so the, so this notion that like Twitter or Facebook or whatever is like a democratizing tool uh, where everyone has an equal voice is, is actually not true uh, because yeah. of all the social connections. Right. Um, and so the, but the consequences of this are, you know, how people perceive the world and make decisions. Right. Um, so, the being able to uh, actually it becomes very difficult to get perspective on the world or uh, or some issue or you know some event that's happening um, mm-hmm. because you're only getting kind of a small slice but that one small slice feels like the entire world right oh right I yeah so I see that too where like I, I you know depending upon where you go or who you talk to um, here we go into politics again um, <laughs> that they're like with Twitter and all that, you're going to follow the people that think like you more than likely. Um, Mm -hmm. or at least a lot of people do where I don't know how many people follow people that challenge their thinking or you may disagree with them. Mm -hmm. And so what may end up happening is that like, there would be a policy position that, that somebody would have. And since all of their friends have that position, then they extrapolate that to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. where they may be totally off base with, whatever that opinion is. And, and it's like, well, actually not everybody agrees with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're only following your Twitter friends, well, they're in violent hundred percent agreement. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so for my, so for myself, I'll cop to not following a lot of proprietary software enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so, so my friend Julian has a, has a term for this. He, when applied specifically to political conversations, uh, he calls it, uh, epistemic closure, uh, which I mentioned because that is a beautiful term epistemic yeah. closure you sounds... need to like go to an emergency room to get that done or something. <laughs> that's right that's right um but it is but it is it's i guess the lesson learned here is um is it is important to make an effort to uh, broaden your inputs right um yep. if you're getting the same message from the same four people uh whenever you know whatever at some well actually this virginia issue is a great example right um if you find yourself getting the same message from everybody on your twitter feed about gun control right in one way or another um you probably owe it to yourself as a as a as a critically thinking human being to go explore the other side of the issue right um yeah all right that's enough for that sermon that's enough for that sermon um cool well dave I'm looking at the cutting room floor here. We forgot to mention the Mad Max mythology illustrations. Yeah, I knew you would be all over that. Oh, man, I'm all over that. I love that. You've got to get like a poster of that for your your office. I do. Well, I was telling you on Slack, I need need a tattoo. Mm -hmm. I need to to get a tattoo of this this Mad Max rendered as Egyptian hieroglyphs. I think it's Mm -hmm. so good. So good. Uh, So if folks want to take a look at that and some of the other fantastic stuff we got on the uh, cutting room floor, Dave, uh, where should they go? 
Yeah, they need to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. All right. Uh, well, thanks, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Gunner. Thanks, everybody.